Amen. Well, it's good to be here today. How are we all doing? I think I did see a couple singles in the house, right? Got a couple singles here. There's a few. Didn't want to uh, leave you guys unacknowledged here. Appreciate uh, you helping us along with the singing. You guys are sounding great. I mean, we're down numerically, but it doesn't seem like we are spiritually. Amen? On that note, uh, let's go to the Father in prayer. God, in light of uh, just some of the crazy things that are going on around the world, the likes of the political strife in Libya and just the emotional and physical strife that's taking place in Japan, I, I pray more than anything that you comfort those that need comfort. God, I know that times like these are, are such that men will look to you and see a need. And I pray more than anything that that is the exact thing that will come out of the different situations, atrocities, physical uh earthquakes, tsunamis, I mean, it's just so much that's been going on. But as we uh, finish up the prayer here today, God, more than anything, we know that you came in the form of your son, Jesus Christ, to be a liberator. Uh, as the song that we just sang, you have power, power over the grave. Father, I pray that each of us can always remember that. That can be a source of comfort for us, knowing that as Jesus defeated the grave, we too, as we listen to and follow Christ, will have the ability to do just that. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, we've been going through a uh, series uh, entitled True Grit. And uh, the one that we're on here today is Jesus Christ the Liberator. Uh, we went through, I don't know if this is the next, yes, okay, there they all are. These are the uh, ones that we've tagged so far the last month and a half here. Jesus is a trailblazer going into those uncharted territories, doing things that no man before him had done. Uh, Jesus is a risk taker, taking on the religious establishment again, being willing to put his life in, in jeopardy so that we would have the opportunity to have a relationship with him. Uh, Marco took us through the fighter and the leader, which, uh, as disciples, we know that one of the things that we are called to do is to imitate Jesus. And uh, Jesus led people to him as he gave the charge to his disciples. That's why we have church today, is because others took that charge to heart, followed his leadership, his example, and have had an incredible impact around the world. You know, when we think of a liberator, what comes to mind? I know for me, Martin Luther King, Cesar Chavez, obviously Jesus. Now, uh, I, I, does this uh, represent anything to anybody? Braveheart, exactly. I mean, you know, the uh, sword was a means of uh, liberating people. There's usually a little bit of bloodshed involved. You know, it's, it's interesting that a tool like this is referenced quite a bit in the Bible. In Revelations 19, verse 15, it even talks about how God came in the form of the Word, His Son Jesus. And with Jesus, I, mean, I, I can't imagine, and I know it's, it's visual imagery that they're giving, there, giving us there, but this sword, can you just imagine a sword like that coming out of His mouth to strike down nations that didn't follow Him? And it's just amazing, and just really the impact that liberators have throughout history. I mean, we look at what this country's been founded on, the likes of a George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. But I figured to start things out, give you a little video here to kind of give you a little bit more flavor of things. 
knew what it was. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take Kind of a rousing scene. I remember the first time I saw it, it led to probably two or three other visits to that particular movie. But you know, it's amazing. I, you know, I've got to dial in here. I don't have a wireless today, so if I end up straying, just kind of point me back. Um, I'm Italian. It's kind of hard to even sit in one spot, let alone. But, you know, with that, just looking at, at this particular scene, and you know, there's been so many scenes like that through history where men are faced with just incredible odds, incredible opposition. But how the rally cry to freedom is so inspirational on so many different fronts. You know, and a lot of the political issues we see going on worldwide today are just that. I mean, these countries with dictatorships, people want a voice. People want freedom. And in so many ways, though, the kind of freedom that goes, has gone after in the world really pales in comparison. You know, a liberator is someone who releases people from captivity or bondage. They deliver freedom. I've got a couple of quotes here that are rather interesting. One's by Ronald Reagan. It says that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. You know, it's, it's amazing. I mean, that is the case with physical freedom, but doesn't that same thing cross over to our spiritual freedom? I mean, there is so much at stake with this current generation. If we aren't willing to take a stand like our Christian forefathers did, as the apostles did, the early disciples, as Jesus Christ himself took as a liberator, what we have is spiritual freedom in Christ could be no more in a generation. And really having that kind of conviction. Sigmund Freud says that most people do not really want freedom because freedom involves responsibility. And most people are frightened of responsibility. You know, it's amazing. As the people that have been liberated through Christ, I think sometimes that burden that Freud talks about, in some instances, can be overwhelming. You know, how many times have we been in a shopping center and there's someone, you just have that prodding. It's like you start interacting with them, you know you should invite them out to church. But isn't there some responsibility with that? You know, you've got to follow up with them. You've got to study the Bible with them. You've got to try and really demonstrate Christianity for them. 
And it's amazing how Satan can get in there on that level and we lose sight of what our liberator did for us. You know, I think really understanding, you know, do we need a liberator? I think it's evident with what goes on in the world. Even here in Eric's share, we know how we all got here. We know what our lives were like before we became Christians. And really understanding that liberty is more than a statue that stands out in the middle of a harbor somewhere, welcoming the masses from around the world to us. You know, it's more than being able to climb up the ladder of prosperity, which in so many ways in America, that's one of the things that we're trained to do from infancy. I mean, I'm like, I'm absolutely blown away by how what was first, second, and third grade is now preschool for two and three-year-olds today. What was fourth or fifth grade math, I can't even begin to figure out today. I mean, it's just amazing. And all this is so that we can really go after that wonderful dream that we have in America. You know, capitalism. Climbing that ladder. I remember prior to becoming a Christian, you know, it was it was the path I was on. I loved the ladder. I was a self-made man. You know, I had some college, never graduated with a degree, but stepped into six-figure incomes over and over and over again. And there was always something else at the top. You know, I got an email here recently, you know, and I, you don't know if in these instances if it's just a matter of Satan kind of getting in there and trying to mess with your head or not, but a year ago I had applied at a uh, dealership up in Lake Tahoe, and it was it was kind of a joke email that I sent them. It was, you know, it was a small store. They didn't do a lot of business, but I threw out there to them. It's like, well, you know, if you want to send me to NADA, which is a means of being trained on all aspects of the automobile industry, accounting, uh, the service departments, the sales, the whole bit, I'd be interested. I got an email from them today. And, you know, it's amazing how that, that, that bite of that ladder, that gold ring, that, you know, additional prosperity, being able to take things to another level, how alluring it is for each and every one of us. Liberty's more than being able to choose your own spouse. I'm glad I had the opportunity to do that, though. And the one that I chose said yes. (laughs) Well, I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to leave that one alone. (laughs) You know, it's more than being able to choose your HMO or your PPO. It's more than being able to choose McDonald's over Burger King or Coke over Pepsi. But ultimately, liberty is the essence of who we are as human beings. And that's what God wants us to be, is liberated. You know, liberty causes the weak to grow strong. It's amazing the impact it can have. The poor to grow rich, the sick to get well. Liberty causes hope to spring up to those that are discouraged. Liberty ultimately causes the prisoner to dream of tomorrow. I mean, we look back to World War II and our uh, concentration camps throughout uh, Nazi Germany, internment camps here in our own state of California. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what it would have been like to be in those situations, especially in Germany with the, the, the experimentation that was going on with people, the lack of food, the, the various forms of abuse, and just dreaming about what one used to have as freedom. And for those that survived, what they must have felt when the Allied troops showed up and they were freed again. You know, liberty is the root of all hope. But I think one of the things that we'll see here in a minute is that if sin holds you captive, you don't have liberty. 
So go ahead and open our Bibles to uh, John 8:31. Particularly what our liberator says about freedom. John 8, verse 31. Give me an amen when you get there. John 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, there are a few New Testament passages that encompass such a complete picture of discipleship and liberty as John 8. A couple things I want you to just kind of think about and hold on to as we proceed through this. But we can see that when Jesus started out with this message here, he said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. He kind of establishes what discipleship's about. Discipleship believes begins with belief. Making Jesus Lord of our lives. And that ultimately is the beginning of freedom. I know that's how it was for me. I would imagine most of us can relate to that. Discipleship means constantly remaining in the word of Jesus. And with that, staying surrendered to Christ. You know, the humility to be constantly learning from Jesus. In the Greek, Methodist disciple translates literally learner. And all of our lives as disciples, we need to continue to be learning more and more about Christ, more and more about what God has established for us, more and more about how to be a great spouse, how to be a great parent, how to be a liberator to others as Jesus was. You know, I think one of the things that we need to re- re- just really realize here is that a stagnant, closed mind can lead ultimately to the end of discipleship. You know, as Ronald Reagan stated, I, I think the same thing applies to discipleship. I mean, we literally, every generation, we are a generation away from extinction if we ourselves aren't willing to take a stand and bring it to others. You know, to remain in the Word of Jesus means constantly to study and think about what He said and really, ultimately, embracing more and more of what we understand, what we see in the Scriptures, and incorporating that into our own lives. Now, you know, we don't need to study for academic satisfaction or intellectual appreciation but to find out what God really wants us to do. The disciple is the learner who learns in order to do. You know, the truth that Jesus brought for us, was it just for us to to kind of, you know, acknowledge it, to look at it, or to act on it? You know, Jesus as a liberator was a man of action, calling men to action. The fundamental question which each of us has, consciously or unconsciously, is what is my purpose in life? And we've talked about this. Is it a career? Is it chasing material possessions, chasing pleasure, or ultimately is it service to God? See, through Christ we're given the ability to see what's ultimately important. The truth of Christ is the answer to setting man and the world free. Let's take a look at a few of these. Freedom in Christ gives us freedom from all the following. Gives us freedom from prejudice and hate, division and isolation, hurt and bitterness, hostility and war, anger and animosity, crime and injustice, emptiness and loneliness, fear and death, selfishness and hoarding, hunger and sickness. And you know, are these not all things that we can worry about at some point in time in our life? But, you know, Jesus even gives us direction on that in Matthew 6, verse 34. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. 
Each day has enough worry of its own. We got enough to contend with on a daily basis. And so many of these things are contrived. So many of these things aren't even in the midst of where we're at currently. You know, man, I wonder what that person thinks about me. Or, you know, I see these people talk. I wonder what they're saying about me. You know, man, I wonder if I were to share my faith with this person. What, what if I get a negative response? And allowing those things to control our life. Discipleship results in freedom. The truth will make you free. Jesus says that. And if we're surrendered to Christ, we ultimately will have perfect freedom. Let's go ahead and continue John 8, verse 33. John 8, verse 33. The Jews said, well, we are descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And you can begin to, you can only imagine how ticked off the Jews must have been about this particular statement that was being made at this time. There's a, uh, a historian, Jewish historian by the name of Josephus that in about 93, 94 AD wrote that the followers of Judas of Galilee who led a famous revolt against the Romans, that they had an inviolable attachment to liberty and they said that God is to be their only ruler. When the Jews said that they had been no man's slaves, they were saying something which was a fundamental article of their creed of life. They may have been captives to other nations, but they believed they had never been spiritually enslaved. And ultimately, this is what Jesus was talking about here, was spiritual enslavement. He said everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. You know, he was reiterating a principle here that the Greek Stoics had stated that only a wise man is free, the foolish man is a slave. Socrates had stated, how can you call a man free when his pleasures rule over him? And then Paul later was to thank God that the Christian was freed from slavery to sin. It's amazing the things that we can usher into our lives that we think that we have control over and we are so incredibly deceived. You know, when it comes to things that we think we want to do, ultimately it is sin that is wanting us to do those things. Satan wants us to do those things so he can separate us and distance us from Christ. You know, and I I can totally get caught up in this mindset where, you know, I I can do whatever I want with my own life. You know, and I I start thinking I've got things dialed in and I'm, I'm smarter than certain things that I've read or certain things that I've done. But the point is, when I sin... I don't do what I want, I do what sin wants. You know, one of the things that, uh, now at my son's home, I've got three people challenging me in my Christian walk. But you know, I, I could be out driving, and uh, I don't swear anymore. I mean, it used to be a challenge as a non-Christian. But somebody cuts me off, somebody does something stupid, I'll use verbiage that probably isn't the most complimentary in the world which those of you who were with my leaders meeting earlier today, it would not fall within the realm of encouraging. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really challenging realizing what a negative impact these things can have. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, well, the guy that's drained, he doesn't hear me. But, you know, you needless to say, I'm subjecting my wife, my daughter, and my son to obviously what isn't the most Christian way of, of dealing things. Dealing with things. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for being called on it. Not necessarily in the moment of things, but reflecting back. Makes sense. You know, when we, lose, we, when we sin, we lose the power to do what we want, and we become a slave to those habits, the self-indulgences, the urges, which in a lot of ways can master us. And this was Jesus' point. No man who sins can ever be said to be free. 
Verse 36, if you'll continue there with me, or 35. Jesus goes on and he says, The slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. You know, this is a, a pretty challenging admonishment here to the Jews. A slave is not a permanent member of the household. Now, does a slave receive the inheritance? Does a son? And this is what Jesus is establishing here in this passage, is that if you're a slave to sin, you're not a permanent member of my family. And you know, in these, these claims about having been Abraham's sons, Jesus says, yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and so you yet are trying to kill me. You know, we can't trade on the mercy of God without obedience to God. Verse 38, Jesus says, I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. Now you are imitating your real father. They replied, we're not illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. And this may have even been kind of a backhanded slam at Jesus at this point in time. And that the rumor was that he was obviously the result of an adulterous affair. He was an illegitimate child. But what Jesus is going after is this claim that just because you have this heritage doesn't mean that you're right with God. For the Jew, Abraham was the greatest figure in the religious history. And with that, the Jews considered themselves safe and secure in the favor of God simply because they were descendant of Abraham. Yeah, the thing that Jesus goes after here is how can they make that claim based on their conduct? You know, there's another... Uh, um, Justin Martyr was a uh, first century Christian, and this is a little excerpt that he had written about 150 A.D. He was a philosopher who became a major figure in the uh, early church. And it says he had a, a discussion with Trypho, the Jew about Jewish religion, and the conclusion was that the eternal kingdom will be given to those who are the seed of Abraham according to the flesh, even though they may be sinners and unbelievers and disobedient to God. Quite literally, the Jew believed that he was saved because he was a descendant of Abraham. And, you know, we, we can sit there and we can think about that from a historical standpoint. And, you know, the bottom line, though, is the attitude of the Jews back then isn't a whole lot different than where we can go today. You know, there, there are those that try to live their lives based on history or tradition. Whole congregations living on past spiritual capital. And, you know, think that you can keep drawing down on the equity that's involved there. But in, inevitably, it'll be exhausted. You know, what it gets down to is what have we done versus what are we doing? How many of you, how many of you that are sitting out there today found God on your own and became a disciple of Jesus Christ? We've got one individual back there. And I, that's, that's awesome. Obviously a soft heart for somebody to be able to get into the scriptures and kind of find this on out on their own. But take a look around. Seriously, take a look around. There was one hand that went up. What does that mean? God found us through somebody else. God sent us a liberator. God put people in our lives so that we'd have the opportunity that we have today. So again, the question, what have we done versus what are we doing? 
Are we turning right back around and giving others the same opportunity today that we were given? Or are we relying on somebody else to do it? And then at some point in time, again, this, this becomes extinct as we know it. See, no man or church can live on the achievements of the past. And that is exactly what the Jews were trying to do here. We need to be careful because it's great to remember what's been done in the past, but it's much more important to focus on what are we doing now and where are we going. You know, this particular matter, Jesus ties it down to one thing. When it came to their conduct, they claimed to be the sons of Abraham. Now, most of us know Abraham in Genesis 12 and 18, there were a number of promises and a covenant that God established with him. And one of that was that there would be blessed curses. Those that curse would be cursed. Those that bless would be blessed. And ultimately, there would be a blessing that would come through Abraham's lineage that would be a blessing to all nations. Now, how do you think Abraham received that message? He was fired up about it. I mean, wouldn't you like to know that someday somebody in your lineage lineage is going to have an incredible impact on all nations? Man, it's amazing. I mean, you know, we all talk about our personal legacies. What a legacy that is. All nations blessed with the lineage of this one man. So he rejoiced about it. And now we have the Jews claiming that they're the sons of Abraham. Now, was their response one of rejoicing when Jesus let them know that he was that Messiah that had been promised? How could they themselves claim to be descendants of Abraham when their conduct was so very different? And you know what? We're no different when we ignore the message of liberation and we don't repent. You know, at the end of the passage there, Jesus drops a bomb. He says, you said, you said, Jesus, do the works of your father. Now, in this context, he's letting them know that Abraham ain't your dad, ain't your daddy, not your father. And what, with that, if Abraham's not their father, who is? Well, it comes out in John 8:44, which we're going to look at in a minute. Jesus lets them know that their father's the devil. You know, those that are rejoiced in the claim that they are the children of Abraham are confronted with the charge that they are children of the devil. Their works had revealed in this situation their true sonship. Abraham rejoiced and, re- and received the message with great eagerness. These guys are hearing the message. And what's the response? How do we get rid of this derelict? How do we get rid of this blasphemer? John uh, 8 verse 42. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you're the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. You know, Jesus lets them know that based on their conduct, you guys are wrong in your claims. You're not Abraham's sons at all. And if the Jews really had God as their father and really loved him, then they would have loved Jesus because he came from God. And again, we see Jesus affirming his position here before them as being God's representative. The Father sent him. 
So, you know, when it, when it comes to this passage, we need to take a moment and personalize this and look at our own, look at our own conduct versus the Scriptures. You know, Jesus' indictment went on there in verse 43. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? And, you know, I think the, the, the answer here is really disturbing. Were not these guys educated men? Did they not have access to Scriptures that most did not have? Yet the issue is... Why didn't they hear? It wasn't because they weren't smart. It wasn't because they weren't intellectual. They didn't hear because they did not want to hear. The message called for repentance. It called for a changed life. It called for them to get out of their comfort zone. And they refused to hear. And with that, they refused to understand. Ultimately, a man will only hear what he wishes to hear. And, you know, if we train our ears only to hear our desires, what happens? We totally buy in and we are oblivious. We are deaf to anything else that can come our way. So Jesus, again, in verse 44, states that the real father of the Jews is the devil. And Jesus chooses two characteristics of Satan here that he goes after. One, that he was a liar. Now, where's the first place we see that manifested? The garden? His interaction with Eve was that forthright and up front? It's a tad deceitful, Right? And then from there, Cain and Abel. So we, we see Jesus calling Satan a murderer and a liar. We have Adam and Eve where it started, and ultimately Cain and Abel where murder was ushered in, inspired by the devil. And through the devil, sin entered into the world, and through sin came death. If there was no temptation, would have been no sin. If there had been no sin, there would have been no death. And therefore, in a sense, the devil ultimately is the murderer of the entire human race, spiritually. The single fact remains here that Jesus Christ leads to life and the devil leads to death. The devil murders goodness, chastity, honor, honesty, beauty, all that makes life incredible. He murders peace, peace of mind, happiness, and even love. Evil destroys. Christ brings life. So at this very moment, the Jews were plotting to kill Christ. And ultimately, they're taking the devil's way in this. Verse 46 says, Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Now hopefully we're all listening today, amen, to what Jesus is saying in the Scriptures here. You know, Jesus is addressing the Jews, and He's talking to us the same way today. You know, what is the basis of what we do? Who is it that we're listening to? Are we caught up in traditions that maybe have been passed down from generation to generation to generation? Are we caught up in religiosity based on what we put out on the outside? You know, maybe we can walk in here, we can look good, and maybe say a few encouraging things, and then come Monday at work, we're pulling up pornography at work, we're treating people unjustly at work, in the campuses, in our high schools and campus ministries, you know, being embarrassed about Christ. And we know what Jesus says if we're embarrassed about Him. We don't have a whole lot of representation before God if that's the case. And just really thinking through this, sincerity of heart. You know, is that sincerity of heart something that actually manifests itself in the way we conduct ourselves? You know, we know that First Timothy 4.16, if we're truly listening to what's established in the Scriptures, we're challenged to persevere in both our life and doctrine. Why? 
Because if we do, it'll save both ourselves and our hearers. You can't have one without the other. I mean, we can espouse all kind of doctrine, but if the Word isn't there to back it up, we're not even going to be able to bring our own kids to Christ if we're not modeling it for them. So it's so incredibly important that we pay attention to Christ. We pay attention to the truth, and it goes beyond listening. The listening turns into action. John 8, verse 56. See, we don't get these things down. If we're not careful, we can step into the position of men who are godlessly serving God. John 8, verse 56. Says your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not 50 years old yet, the Jews said to him, and you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. You know, what do we see here? Jesus' clear affirmation of his deity. What did it do? It, it evoked a crisis. They had to decide whether or not he was the one he claimed to be or a blasphemer. And if he was a blasphemer, there's only one conclusion, which we see that they decided in verse 59. They picked up the stones. They were ready to go. You know, Jesus brought us the truth, and with that truth comes freedom. But freedom comes with a price. Thomas Jefferson wrote, The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. No, no, freedom is not free. The price is always paid in blood. You know, that's exactly the case with Christ. It's no different today. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews 9, verse 12. You know, we know that the Levitical law was established in such a way that the only means of atonement was for a sacrifice. The blood of an animal, which the blood was living, so it was the, that living blood that gave atonement. And there, were, at the time that atonement would be offered up for Israel, there were two goats. I just had this conversation recently with Dino. I had lost sight of this. I, 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 thought, I had thought the scapegoat was the one that, you know, basically you'd bring your sacrifice into the priest, you'd lay hands on it, transfer the sin. Priests would say a few things, you'd slit the, the goat's throat, and that blood was the means of atonement. But they had a second goat, which was actually the scapegoat. And what was done with the scapegoat was the same thing, the hands were laid on it, but this goat was freed to go out into the desert, and it was a guilt offering. So not only was there the forgiveness of sin, but there was also the getting rid of guilt that was associated with that with, with that sin and we know with christ christ encompasses all that hebrews 9 verse 12 says with his own blood not the blood of goats and calves he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever under the old system the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. So that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of their sins they had committed under the first covenant. And then verse 22, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You know, the thing so incredible about this is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ brings us eternal redemption. 
The idea was that men were under the control of sin, and just as the purchase price had to be paid to free a free to pay to free a man that was in slavery, so the purchase price that had to be paid to free a man from sin was through the blood of Christ. What Jesus did was make us right with God, and what He does enables us to stay right with God. You know, it's so awesome when we think about the cross and what the cross represents. You know, the amazing God, the amazing love that God has for us. The freedom that we have through God that was given to us through Jesus Christ. The power of God that we have the ability to face the challenges that we have on a daily basis and be victorious. And when Jesus died on that cross, he paid that debt in full and set us free from the ultimate, comp, uh, from the ultimate consequence of our sin. Jesus is our liberator. Now, if we've been liberated by Christ, what does that say about us and who we should become? You know, we, we've seen it over the last few weeks. Jesus was a trailblazer. What does that mean about us? We need to be trailblazers. Jesus was a risk taker. What does that mean about us? We need to be risk takers. Jesus was a fighter. What does that mean? No, it doesn't mean we go into a, a, a pub here on St. Patrick's Day and get into a fight. It means that we fight to hang on to what we have as Christians and bring it to other people. Amen? Jesus was a leader. What do we need to do? Jesus is a liberator. What does that mean for us? We need to do the same thing. We need to be liberators. Nelson Mandela's got a rather interesting quote that I want to share. It says, For to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. I want to read that again. I, I, I think this is, this is a pretty blow-away quote here. For to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. Now, I, I think that's something we need to take to heart. We're going to take, go to our final closing passage here, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, if you'll turn there with me. Bring this in for landing. See, this quote that uh, we have through Mandela, something that Paul totally understood. Paul in verse 19 says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. It'd be nice if that was the winning Charlie Sheen was talking about. Amen. <laughs> to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. You know, again, Mandela said, For to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. Paul understood this. And this is something we need to understand. Jesus says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Paul, what did he say? Though I am free, what did he want to do? He wanted to win. 
And he was willing to do whatever it would take to win men's souls. For a man that had gone through so many incredible flip-flops in his life, I mean, the Jew of Jew, trained by Gamaliel, persecuting Christians, killing Christians, to a man that was willing to take a stand and die himself for the good news of Jesus Christ. For a man that was willing to forego his freedom and put himself at risk so that people would have the opportunity to hear the gospel preached. Why did he do it? He became a slave to win. You know, what is winning? What does it mean to win? To win the victory, to attain success, to reach a desired goal, victorious. And we know that that was the case with Paul. Paul was the master missionary. He won more men for Christ than any other man. And he saw how essential it was to become all things to all men. And I think one of our greatest needs as disciples is to be able to see, Jesus, see people the way Jesus saw people, harassed and helpless. You know, we need to learn the art of getting alongside of people, getting involved with people, getting people back into our homes, seeing the real state that people are in. And the trouble so often is, we don't even try. Paul, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I may save some. Paul did whatever it took, all possible means, to win some. What I want to leave you with today is to remember the price that was paid. Love God, love each other, and liberate the lost. Let us never forget the price that our liberator paid. I'm going to close with the video.